How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go roll. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Yeah, and it's no days off. Hello and welcome. The Lockdown Knicks Podcast. This is episode 143. I am your host, Jared Dubin. This is the seventh in our series of podcasts on 2017 NBA Draft Prospects. Just in case you missed the first six episodes on French point guard Frank Nielakina, Kansas forward Josh Jackson, Washington point guard Markel Fultz, Arizona forward slash center Lowry Markinen, Kentucky guard Malik Monk, and UCLA point guard Lonzo Ball. Let me give you an overview of how this is working. There will be 10 of these podcasts in total. They are in a completely random order. I put the 10 prospects that people told me they wanted to hear about in an order randomizer, and this is the order they came in. So don't read anything at all into who goes first or last or anything like that. In each episode, I talk to Sam Vecini, whose work you might know from CBS, Sporting News, Vice, or elsewhere. I talk to him about each prospect's best-case scenario, their worst-case scenario, and their most likely career path in the NBA. This gives you a sort of holistic idea of what each player is like and where they might fit in the NBA ecosystem. As you'll hear me say throughout the podcast series, I tend to place more weight on the most likely career path as opposed to the ceiling or floor as many other evaluators do. I explain why in the podcasts. After I hang up with Sam, I talk to Brian Giberman, who I've had on this podcast several times. We talk mostly about how each player might fit with the Knicks based on a variety of different criteria that I mostly took from an email sent to me by a listener named Q. I adjusted Q's system a bit, so Brian and I grade each prospect on a scale from 1 to 5 in the following categories. Current talent, star potential, fit with Kristaps Porzingis, defensive potential, and fit in the triangle offense. The last point may be only a short-term concern because Phil Jackson isn't likely to be around for the long haul, and the next regime isn't likely to retain the triangle, but triangle fit does seem likely to factor heavily into Phil and his staff's evaluations, so we had to include it. Uh, after that, we discuss whether the player has the potential to be better than Porzingis if he hits his peak. The hope is that by talking about each player purely as a prospect and then talking about how he fits with the Knicks, you get a pretty good overview. Uh, definitely let me know if you like the pods and if there's anything else you want to hear because I want to make these as informative as possible. I'm trying to give you a lot of detail about what you can expect if the Knicks make any of these selections, because this is obviously a really big pick for the future of the franchise. And uh, now, let's get you to the first part of the pod with Sam Vecini. Sam, how are you, man? Thank you for coming back. I uh, really appreciate it. You know, I, I am uh, I'm a little bit frustrated at the moment. Uh, 
Just watched the Essendon football game from last night. They lost. Uh, watched the Penguins game yesterday. They pissed a 3-2 lead uh, down the drain. So I was not super pleased about that. But, uh, you know, I'm glad to be on the phone with you nonetheless. Yeah, I, uh, I had a similar experience watching the Ranger game yesterday. They, for the second time in this series, blew a lead. They should have won in Ottawa twice. And are instead 0-3 in Ottawa. And, uh, you know, now got to come home, win game six and game seven on the road. Not exactly what you want to do. And they keep letting up stupid goals. Like, it's just, it's really annoying, man. Yeah, no, hockey is the most frustrating and the most fun and exhilarating. And, you know, to me, it's the best playoffs in all of, like, uh, all of sports. Just because the intensity is so, so high. But when your team loses, it's the most incredibly frustrating feeling in the world. For sure. And look, my brother has tickets for game six and he's not taking me, even though even though the game is the day after my birthday, because he took his friend to uh, to game three and four and they won both games. So now he says that I would ruin the karma if I came. Yeah, basically just F you, Jared. That's what he told you, which I mean, look, it's. I, I kind of agree. Like, you know, they, they went 2-0 and at games 3 and 4. If I went and they lost, it would totally be my fault. So I understand where he's coming from. It yeah, just, that's uh, a good point. You would never be able to live with yourself. That's true. Uh-huh. Anyway, <laughs> we are, uh, we're here to talk about 2017 NBA draft prospects, continuing the series. We're going to start today with 6-10 combo forward. From the university that shall not be named, Jonathan Isaac uh, averaged 12 points a game, 7.8 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 1.5 blocks, 1.2 steals, shot 51% from the field, 35% from three. Sam, before we get into the best case, worst case, most likely scenario for Isaac, uh, what do you think people should know about him other than that if the Knicks draft a guy from Florida State for the third time in my life, I'm done with the Knicks? <laughs> okay, so yeah, Jonathan Isaac, you know, six foot ten and a half, nine foot plus standing reach. Think about a seven one, seven two wingspan, something like that. Uh, you know, this is a kid that had a tough decision last year. He was considering going the Thon Maker route and declaring to the draft after his postgraduate year uh, at, I believe he was at IMG Academy. Now that I think about it, um, he's a really, really intriguing prospect that I think has in a lot of ways been labeled boom or bust, which is unfair to him because I believe that he has such a high defensive floor already that it raises the rest of the profile of his game. He really, he really can be like a somewhat below average offensive player and still be in the NBA because of what he can do defensively at six foot 10 and move his feet and everything. Uh, You know, Florida State was a it's a really interesting situation because Leonard Hamilton can be relatively tough on young players and he really just kind of throws rotations in and out of you know circulation they had a really deep team this year maybe the most athletic team in the country but Isaac was the linchpin one thing about that though is that he was the linchpin defensively offensively he was still probably their best player but 
he is not wholly confident in his off- offensive game yet, I think is fair to say. He has not yet figured out that he can kind of do whatever he wants on offense. He has uh, the ability to slash in a straight line from the perimeter. Uh, he is uh, you know, a decent shooter from the outside that probably will be able to translate pretty quickly, at least from the corners in the NBA. Um, it, it's all about confidence on the offensive end, though, with Isaac and you know, with guys like Xavier Rattan Mays and Dwayne Bacon, who are, you know, they pound the ball on the perimeter, they're chuckers. He didn't really get a chance to build that confidence this season. So uh, that's kind of the uh, it's kind of the profile that you're looking at here. Yeah, I would say, you know, we'll get into this more when we talk about the most likely scenario for him. But I, I would agree that the boomer bust label is a little bit misleading because of, you know, the defensive floor that you mentioned, you know, specifically the versatility on defense, right. I think is going to bring, you know, a, a lot to the table on that front. But I think, you know, before we get into uh, the best case, worst case, and, and most likely, we should also note, like, he only played 26 minutes a game at Florida State. So, like, while he was a central player, he wasn't on the floor as much as you would expect for a potential, you know, top five, top ten pick, um, and only took eight shots a game also. And I think you see that, you know, when you mentioned the, uh, the, the lack of assertiveness offensively, like, a guy this talented only taking eight shots a game, I think that that's really where you see it. Right. That's absolutely right. Like, this is a kid that has, I don't want to say, like, all the skill in the world offensively. Like, he really, really needs to improve as a ball handler in terms of change of pace and change of direction. But he has a good first step. He's obviously a great lateral athlete, as we'll talk about later on. Um, he, he does need to improve his skill level. He needs to become a better jump shooter, even though he shot 35% from three this year. Um, but he moves really, really well off the ball. Uh, he has this like this, this innate understanding of the way that the floor should be spaced. You know, worst comes to worst, this guy is going to be super useful in that short corner role that you often see with guys like kind of accepting dump offs or having to hit that little like 10-foot mid-range jumper. He's going to be useful there. I have no problem you know, saying that. And as long as he can do that, I think that he's going to be a valuable player. Uh, you know, to me, he's a four or five all the way that you can kind of mix and match with a lot of different uh, defensive players, offensive players. He's going to be kind of a, uh, you know, a, a lineup connector in a way that is going to be super useful to the team that drafts him. And I think that I'm a little bit higher on him than what a lot of people are right now because of that, because I see a relatively high floor that also, you know, if he does figure out some of this offensive stuff and goes to the right organization and does a lot of skill development and op- I mean, honestly, mental development and developing the confidence in his game, he does have a high ceiling as well. So let's get right into that then, because I think that for a lot of people, um, they consider, you know, the ceiling sort of the most important thing. And especially when you're taking a guy like this, who, um, you know, while I think he is ready to contribute in certain ways, he's also raw offensively, and that's where the the big upside is for him. Because, like we mentioned, I think the defense is going to be there uh, either way, mm-hmm. just because of you know his size and his length and his ability to move around. What do you see as the best case scenario for him in terms of like, you know, if, if we establish that the defense is going to be there, you know, what does the best case scenario look like if you know all the offensive skill comes together? I mean, best case scenario is that. I genuinely believe that he can be a top five defensive player in the NBA. 
Uh, you just look at what he can bring in terms of rim protection, in terms of you know switching pick and rolls, uh, being able to cut off penetration, basically you know two through five. He can even do it a little bit on ones. Uh, just a quick little number here. He uh, is the fifth player since 2009-10 to post a 25% defensive rebounding rate, 6% block rate, and 2.4% steal rate. The other four guys to do that, Anthony Davis, who's made the all-defensive team twice now, uh, Andre Robertson, who I think is going to be all-defense this year, Dwayne Dedman, who has made such an impact defensively for the Spurs, as we've seen, they're five points better when he's on the floor than when he's off the floor. And then the fourth is Eric Murray, who you know got dismissed from West Virginia and LaSalle and has obviously gone through a few problems. But, uh, I mean, if, if you consider and throw out Eric Murray because he would be an NBA player, I think, if it wasn't for all of the issues that he's gone through in his personal life uh there's obviously a really high defensive uh those are really high defensive milestones to hit and he hits all of them across the board i'm a really big fan of uh what he can do on that end so you know if you're talking about an all defensive team guy and if he hits all of his markers offensively i think he can become like you know, an 18 point a game scorer who hits 38 percent from three and stretches the floor from the four or five positions is, is that like a top 15? It's probably a top 15 player in the NBA, right? Yeah, I mean, look, depending on the circumstance and, you know, if he gets enough touches and assertiveness offensively, I would think that that's probably, you know, the, the absolute high end if everything comes together right. on both sides. Yeah. And by I the way, like, I don't think that will happen with him, to be honest. But if it does, I think that is the ceiling. Yeah, I think in sort of the opposite way of uh, Josh Jackson, who we talked about last week, I think that there's a much wider uh, gap between Isaac's most likely scenario and his ceiling, whereas Jackson, I thought they were very close together. Uh, I think that the, the ceiling is probably like similarly high, but Jackson seems right. much more likely to max out uh, than Isaac does to me, even if, you know, and, and I think that there's the, like you mentioned, the baseline for him to be a really good defender is there, but there's potential for it to be even more than that. Like, I, I think he might be able to play the three also and open up all kinds of stuff that you could do with him defensively. Um, defensively, I 100% agree with that. He could, he could play the three tomorrow defensively in the NBA, I think. Yeah, and like maybe you have to have like a shooting forward next to him, you know, probably either way, but. You know, you get that kind of size on the perimeter. And, you know, you think about all of the, the tall three scorers that you have out there. This is the kind of guy you want to use on them. You know, you got to add some weight to his frame to be able to deal with, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Jimmy Butlers and Paul Georges and LeBrons and KDs. But the, the length and the size and the ability to move, like, that's the kind of guy you want on them is, is to have the combination of all of those things. Most guys don't have that with the kind of size that Isaac has. So the, the defensive ceiling certainly is really high. And, uh, yeah, you know, if like he, I said, if he you becomes, know, top five uh, defensive player is his ceiling. And if he becomes not just a more consistent shooter, but a more assertive shooter, then mm-hmm. that raises the, the offensive ceiling significantly as well. Like he only took two and a half threes a game this year. Granted, that's in 25 minutes. You extrapolate per 40. It's, you know, it's like four threes a game from the forward spot, which is pretty good. Um, but I, I think if he was more willing to pull the trigger uh, combined with some development of the shot as well, that would you know raise it even higher. 
Yeah, he has some stuff at the top, I think. Like, I think his offhand gets a little bit too involved in the action at the top of the shot. Uh, it might be a little bit too in front of the ball a little bit often. Uh, and I think that that can lead to, you know, somewhat wonky results in terms of, uh, you know, left to right movement. But that's fixable. Uh, overall, I think that the shot is fluid enough, and he is just such a reactive athlete in terms of being quick twitch whenever he's going laterally and, you know, he can jump up and do some stuff. Like, I think that he's going to be able to figure out the jump shot enough to where he's going to be a valuable stretch four kind of guy. What do you think about a guy that size uh, being able to attack off the dribble? Like, obviously, it's, it's a hugely additionally valuable skill uh, if he can do it against NBA defenders. You know, he did it some in college, but it seemed like he didn't really know that he could do it whenever he wanted to. Um, and that's something that, you know, if, if you have that, like you mentioned, from stretch fours, especially if the shot develops, like the ability to beat closeouts off the dribble, that, that opens up a whole nother level of the offensive ceiling also. Yeah, it, I, one thing that I think goes a little bit, uh, you know, underrated whenever you're talking about big stretch four prospects it's really difficult for those guys to attack closeouts in the college game just because of how condensed the mid-range zone is so mm -hmm. it's there's just going to be so many guys in that area that it's going to be really easy for them to end up with strips and end up with they're going to end up in traffic and oftentimes like isaac still isn't totally comfortable in traffic just due to his slight frame and due to you know the confidence levels that he has right now in his own game so you know, I think that the opened up game, the opened up space of the mid-range and of the extended three-point line will help him in terms of attacking closeouts. Whether or not he's going to be a guy that, you know, consistently gets to the rim attacking those closeouts, I'm a little bit skeptical on that. But I think that you're talking about a guy that, you know, comfortably is going to be able to, you know, pump fake, take at least two dribbles inside, knock down a 15-footer for an open shot. And, and that's a skill that a lot of stretch fours don't have either. You know, some guys right. you run them off the line and there's there's nothing else there. And being able to put it on the floor, whether you go all the way to the basket or not, is a really valuable skill for a player in that role. And, and I do see more of like a secondary offensive role as being the ceiling still than like, right. you know, the you know, the first offensive option. And that's with the with the way he's gonna play defense, that's perfectly okay. Um, yeah. Totally agree. Let's go to uh, let's go to the worst case scenario. Um, to me, the worst case, and we mentioned this on the Jackson podcast, and I thought that it was not likely to happen for him. There's a big difference between being a combo forward and being a tweener. Combo forwards can play the three or the, the three or the four on both sides of the ball, and tweeners can't play either the three or the four. And I think the worst case scenario for Isaac would involve maybe not being, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to say not being quick enough, but not being like stretchy enough. You know, the jumper never comes around and you can't play him at the three, uh, you know, with two other big guys out there and then not being strong enough to play the four and get sort of bullied around. That would be the worst case scenario. But even then, I still see him being a pretty good defender. So, right. you know. Even the worst case scenario is like is still a, a valuable rotation player that you can use as like a flexible defensive piece. Right. So to me, he doesn't really fall into like the tweener category, right? Because the problems with tweeners typically are that they struggle defensively, mm -hmm. and 
with the way that he moves his feet as at his size and with the way that he can protect the weak side of the rim, I think that there's a chance he could get bullied by fours. But in the game now where there, there's so much switching involved and you're so often not matched up against the guy that you're you know typically supposed to be matched up against, I, I don't really see a tweener problem for him. I, I do think that it's possible for the offense to never come along. You know, one downside of his game that we haven't mentioned yet is that he's not the most instinctive passer at all I you know he had like a seven percent assist rate this year wasn't really asked to create plays for others he's more of a finisher than a uh, you know a guy that's going to move the ball along on the perimeter he's fine at he's not going to make the quick decision to create an open you know swing pass to the corner or to the opposite corner on a closeout or attacking a closeout or something like that uh that's just not what he has yet maybe he could at some point i'm not 100 sure either way um if that stuff never comes along though and the jump shot stays around 34 33 32 percent and he just never really gains the confidence by going to an organization like the new york knicks uh i think that the worst case scenario is like Jared said, he's more of like a seventh, eighth man off the bench. It's kind of maybe his worst case scenario is something similar to what Thon maker was this year from Milwaukee, like not what Thon maker can be in the future. And uh, you know, not what uh, you know, he can grow into and develop. Cause I think a lot of people are a little bit more excited about him than I am, but you know, Thon maker is a guy that can switch screens right now. He can cause a lot of problems. He can protect the weak side of the rim, still not a primary rim protector. Uh, you know, so people think they have to guard him out there from three, but they really don't yet because his jump shot isn't good enough. I think that's probably the worst case scenario. And Thon maker, as we saw in the playoffs is still a useful player, if not like a wholly valuable player. Yeah, and I think, so two things there, the reaction time and uh, the ability to scamper across the lane super quickly, I think, yeah. you know, with Thon is already there, and I think with Isaac, it'll be there as well. And that, even if you're not always in the right position, that helps your value on defense, because when you're that big and that long and you move that quickly, once you make the decision to move, that covers up a lot of mistakes uh, that yep. not only you make defensively, but your teammates make. And, you know, as part of like the downside risk, you know, what you mentioned about him not really being an instinctive passer for someone who's going to be in the position that he's going to be in that, that could pose considerable downside risk because, you know, if you run them off the line and they can't get to the basket all the way, then all of a sudden you might be able to trap them into no man's land. And that's sort of the way you can defend them. And if they're, you know, let's say he is a more of a four or five guy and he sets the screen on the ball. Okay. You force the ball out of the point guard's hands. And now you let like similar to how the Cavs defended Draymond in the first three games of the finals two years ago, where, you know, they would basically just leave him all alone at the top of the key, stick on the shooters and park Mozgov in front of the rim and be Mm -hmm. like, okay, make something happen. I think you could do a similar thing to Isaac, uh, you know, with not being able to necessarily be the most instinctive passer. And if he's not able to get all the way to the rim, then all of a sudden, you know, where do you go from there? And he needs to develop one of those two things, either driving all the way to the rim and, you know, finishing through contact or getting fouled or the ability, the ability to make a little bit better reads off the bounce with his passing, you know, that, and that would be part of the downside risk as well. Yeah, no. That's yeah. That's that's absolutely one hundred percent correct. Yeah. So, this is a, 
you know, what I put the most value on is, you know, the next section coming up is the most likely scenario. You know, I've explained, explained it on some of the other podcasts, but the most likely thing is the most likely thing. So that's, you know, to me, what should be, you know, most heavily considered. And I, I understand te- uh, teams or evaluators or fans that would prefer to, you know, have the pie in the sky dreams of the upside or the, you know, the nitpicking of the downside. And that's all they focus on. But this is where this is where I live in terms of my evaluations. So, what do you think is you know the most likely scenario for him? So for me, uh, he's going to be very situationally dependent. I think uh, at the top here, he needs to go to an organization that will foster his abilities and that also isn't necessarily always in the limelight because I think that he is going to need some time offensively, and you know if if he starts to struggle and the media starts to get down on down on him a little bit as a high draft pick that isn't performing, I can see that having some adverse effects on the way that he develops. So I, you know, I don't think he would be the right guy for the Knicks just because of that factor. I, I do think that the fit between him and Porzingis would be incredible, but there are more factors that go into it than off and on the floor fits. If you're telling me that, you know, his his most likely scenario in Dallas is probably a little bit higher where I can tell you, like, you know, these this team knows how to, you know, foster the growth of, uh, you know, players, putting them in the right situations, putting them, uh, you know, in cases where they can really be helped uh, and really be helped on and off the floor in terms of development. Uh, with the Knicks, I'm less certain of that happening. Uh, even though, you know, you look at Kristaps Porzingis, he's obviously really taken to New York well. Um, I, I don't know. He's he's a tough one in terms of what the uh, what the most likely outcome is. Yeah, I think I definitely agree that it's going to be a lot of situation dependent, especially because whether or not the offense comes around the way you want it to is going to depend a lot, like you said, on on where he goes and the development staff that's in place there. Um, you know, in, mm-hmm. in fairness to the Knicks, their development in recent years has been much better. And I'm talking about recent, like the last two, uh, than, well, no, than no, it was I, before. I think right. In terms of like player development and, um, skill development, I do think that they've been really good. Um, and I don't, you know, and they've done a great job of evaluating overseas talent, particularly, I believe that's Clarence Gaines, who uh, does a lot of that work over there. There's, they've done a good job in terms of development, but I worry about the limelight more than anything. Uh, if I was talking about the Knicks, yeah, they're uh, you know Clarence Gaines is the lead scout, and then they have uh, Kevin Wilson, who's the European scout who lives in Spain, and that's why they keep getting mm-hmm. all of these guys from Spain, like Chris Dapps and Hernan Gomez and Kuzminskis played in Spain also. Um, you know, so yep. that's that's where they they tend to focus their energies in in, in Europe and I guess in, in their scouting too. You know, and that's that's two of their what is it like five or six draft picks that they've made uh, since taking over. But just you know, not even just those guys that got better. Like you look at a guy like Justin Holiday got like a lot better this year with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. You know, some of their younger guys I think have done they've done a pretty decent job developing skills. But you know, like you mentioned, it's it's difficult when a guy is a super high pick and doesn't contribute right away. Um, Chris Stapps happened to come out the gate and be awesome. Um, 
you know, so it, it could have gone a very different way uh, if he had come out of the gate and, and really struggled hard. And it could so, go so like, look at, look at five, six, seven, eight, nine, right. In terms of who these teams are that are selecting Orlando, I think would be a really good fit for him just in terms of being out of the limelight, whether or not it would work in terms of already having Aaron Gordon and already having a big front court. I don't know. Minnesota, I think is his sweet spot. Uh, if you put him next to Carl Towns and Andrew Wiggins, Lord, that would yes. be <laughs> the best possible outcome. New York, as I've kind of already mentioned, not all that great. Sacramento, not all that great. Uh, just do I need to explain more? No, I don't think you do. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dallas, I think, as I've said, I think would be a really good spot for him. So I think five through nine is probably going to be his sweet spot somewhere. Um, and there are a lot of landmines within that five through nine for where Jonathan Isaac could end up being uh, you know, an all-star or he could end up being more of a rotation guy that we talked about. Yeah. And uh, look, just in terms of, you know, the, the most likely level of his contribution, I think he's going to be a valuable rotation player, not the best or second best guy on the team, but somewhere between like third and sixth. And you can have him on the court at important times, you know, especially down the stretch for when you want, you know, superior flexibility on defense, he's going to be a guy that you want out there. And, and I think that that's true, even if the offense doesn't come along like you want it to, you know? So to, to me, it's, you know, valued rotation player, whether that's as a starter or off the bench is, you know, the most likely case scenario. Yeah, I'll call this. I think he makes at least one all defense team in his career. Yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised at all. Like that, that kind of flexibility at that size is really, really valuable, and it's pretty rare too. You know, like you, you don't often see six ten, six eleven guys that move on the perimeter that way consistently. Like there are guys that could do it. You know, at the end of possessions or for a few seconds in a possession. But I think he, he'll be able to do it for, you know, the whole game. And that's, uh, that's really rare. And that puts, um, it puts a level on the floor below which, you know, it would be very surprising to me if he dropped. So I, I think he's a, yeah. definitely an interesting prospect. Maybe not the best prospect for the Knicks for some of the reasons you mentioned and because he went to the worst school in the country. Um, but other than that, uh, he would be, you know, a very, very interesting player to, to consider in the top ten. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, and if he goes to the Knicks, like I said, it's a great fit on the floor next to Porzingis. Um, and I wouldn't count him out from being good by any stretch of the imagination. I just think there are better fits for him overall. Yeah, it, and that's you know something I'll get more into uh, right now when I talk to Brian Giberman about how Isaac would fit with the Knicks. Sam, thanks again for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. For sure. Brian, how are you, man? Thank you for coming back once again. Oh no problem. Good. How are you? How you doing, Jared? I'm doing great, man. We're uh, we're going to talk about Jonathan Isaac right now. Um, you know what? Let's just get right into it. Where do you have him on the one to five scale in terms of current talent? Four and a, I'll go four and a half. Uh, needs to be a little bit more developed with his individual skills, but there's tools there, and he can be effective without creating his own shot. So that's a positive about him. Yeah, I had a four. Um, I think the defense plays right away. The, the, the defensive versatility is going to be really useful. I think he can guard threes and fours uh, pretty much right away. He might even be able to guard twos as well. Um, he's got size. He's got length. He moves his feet really well. I think on that side of the floor, um, he'll be one of the, the quicker translating 
combo forward types uh, that you could see. It's the offensive side where I'm not sure he's quite as ready yet, just because there's a degree of like unassertiveness, I think, that might creep into uh, to not have him be quite as effective offensively right away as his skill level might suggest. That so it's a fair it's a fair criticism, but I also remember people saying that stuff about like Rudy Gay coming up and he turned into an absolute trucker. So I wait to see how that. Yeah, to to me, it's less like he floats through games. It's like that's something that you know gets criticized about you know like wing scorer types. Uh, if they're not, like, super dominant when they are in college. Like, Harrison Barnes got the same criticism. Rudy Gay got the criticism, like you said. Plenty of other guys got similar criticism. With Isaac, it was not so much that he floated through games, but when he got the ball, he wasn't necessarily all that assertive. I feel like he could not, not, not like, take over games more often, but just and not even really force the issue more often, but just, like impose his will on a possession, um, not necessarily on the game. Um, and, and I feel like if there, if there was a little bit more assertiveness there, I would be more confident that he was going to be a successful offensive player right away, where I think it might take a little bit of time for that to, to come around. And all, all is defensive, as you talked about the defense, all the statistical indicators you want to see are there. Good steals, numbers, good block numbers, the rebound. The rebounding isn't as... Look, it's 7.8 per game, but you have to look at it. He only played 26 minutes. So the rebounding okay. isn't, even, isn't even that bad. It's hard to, to decide him on doesn't separate offensive and defensive. So I don't know that off the top of my head. And then from the offense, you'd like to see that he's, he shot 35% from three and 78% from the free throw line. So he has a good statistical profile to go with the physical tools. Yeah, it would be nice, to, you know... Especially if he's going to play on the wing, you need him to shoot a little bit better from three. Uh, I think that will come with time and as he works on his jumper. Um, 35% plays at the four, certainly. Um, that's that's a nice mark for you know a four-man. You would obviously want it to get a little bit higher, but if you're playing him with a stretch five like Porzingis is, then it's not quite as big a deal if he's not you know a super stretchy guy. You know, we'll get to that more in the in the fit range, but uh, I do think that. Whether or not the jumper fully comes around and he's an above-average three-point shooter plays into the next section with the star potential. Um, you know, Just to recap, because it's been a little bit since we did one of these pods, uh, for this section, you sort of rated them on like what the potential of their highest level of impact from one to five was, where I was more on you know the likelihood that they'll become a star-level player. So you sort of get a holistic idea of their star potential there. Where did you come down on this one? Uh, I think if he hits his... Well, look, do you consider Sean Marion a star? I think he was... I don't know about... I guess star-level impact, yeah. Not like a superstar. That's, I think, a different category. But but on the the court, you would have considered him a star. Yeah, I mean, he was really freaking good. And that's actually a pretty good comp. Uh, for Isaac, I've been trying to think of one. I think Marion kind of works. And that—that's what. So I'll go. I'll go five on star potential. If, if what Marion and I consider, I consider it a high level contribution on the court. Just it's more the other stuff that where the question comes in whether you consider Marion star, superstar, whatever, whatever it was. He was 
awesome. And Jonathan Isaac, I, I kind of like that comp for him as what if he hits his absolute peak could be. So I'll go five. Yeah, I had a three here. Um, you know, in terms of the likelihood that he becomes a star level player, I see him as more of a star in his role, like third best player on the team kind of guy, which is pretty much kind of what Marion was. Um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that he's going to be um, a guy who, you know, you, th- you throw the ball to and sort of creates his own offense for himself and others. I don't necessarily see the the ability to, to put the ball on the ground um, in in isolation. You know, it's more of, you know, in advantageous situations. Like, I think he'll, he'll beat some closeouts. I don't know if he'll necessarily get all the way to the rim with it. Uh, it's something I talked about with Sam on the earlier part of this podcast. And I think that in order to be a star wing, you kind of need that. Uh, if he's going to play the four, at which I think he sort of should, uh, not, not necessarily a full-time basis, but can swing between both, um, I, I, I think I like him better there because I think the versatility on defense and the, the ground he covers plays even more at the four than it does at the three. Um, but you know, I, I certainly think he's going to be a high-level impact player, uh, but not necessarily convinced that he's going to be like a star-level guy. I think what you're saying is obviously the more likely outcome. I liked, uh, I'll save it for later. Save, uh, sorry, save what? Uh, I guess we're going to. I'll save it for one of the other parts where it makes sense to bring it up. All right. Let's let's move on then to uh, the fit with Kristaps Porzingis. How do you think Isaac fits there? As the, is what I was just about to talk about. That's why I waited. Um, I think if you uh, him at the four and Porzingis at the five, if you, if they both can defensive rebound well enough, is about as perfect as you can get in the modern NBA. The singular question is, can they close out possessions when they get stops? And that would basically be its downfall, or it would be part of what made them so good. Yeah, um, I think it's a great fit with Porzingis. I had a five here. Um, I think you can play them together at the three and the four. You can play them at the four and the five. I think you can play them even potentially with you know, a third big man. Um, I think you could do a lot of interesting things with the two of them on both sides of the floor. Uh, Porzingis' stretch uh, helps you fit Isaac in uh, at either the three or the four, um, you know, even if his jumper doesn't fully come around. Uh, which I think it, you know, it, and if it does, it's even more ridiculous because then you've got a stretch four and a stretch five, potentially, um, which is, you know, like you mentioned, the way the NBA is going these days, that would be pretty terrific. Um, it's uh, that that's that defensive rebounding thing almost had me knock this down to uh, a four or a four and a half. I would be concerned playing them at the four and the five together um, in the next couple of years just in terms of how it would work with the rebounding on the court. But because I expect the Knicks to be pretty bad over these next couple of years, I sort of wouldn't care. And I would just say, like, have the have them play together at those two spots and, and sort of figure it out and see how it's going to work. Um, so I, I think it fits really, really well on, on both sides of the floor. It's kind of a better version of what the Suns might be doing with Chris Mender. Yeah, it's it's certainly similar. I think that those guys are le- like I'm not sure I want either of that those two guys playing the five, is the thing, um, and I think that that's sort of what gives 
you know, the Isaac Porzingis and, and Edge over that pairing. I think the, those those guys are more four types. Like Chris to me is a four. Well, one um, of them had. Well, not, we don't need to get too side. One of them better be a five, or else it would make no sense. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I see either one. I mean, I guess these days you don't really need a center. Like you could easy, pretty easily play them together. That's the Suns. I kind of want them to take Isaac. And do I tweeted this earlier day and do Chris Bender and Isaac as their front court? That'd be super fun. My God, that would be like the biggest, longest front court ever. <laughs> yeah, it's um. So look, I I think that the way the two of them would cover the floor defensively, uh, would be really great. Like I think the fact that Isaac covers so much ground would allow Porzingis to sort of hang near the basket more often. You could get creative with your defensive system. Um, do things where, like, even if Porzingis' guy, uh, you know, comes and sets the screen, you send Isaac up at the ball handler to cover that pick and roll and keep Chris Stapps near the basket, get creative with, with you know, different zoning up type of things so that he stays closer to the rim and Isaac is, you know, moving all over around the perimeter and around the court. His timing defensively, um, you know, and, and we'll just combine this with the defensive potential part and you can get into your ranking there because it all sort of fits in together. Um, his his timing and the m- amount of ground he covers defensively, I think, uh, you know, are, are the big selling points to me. You know, the, the timing, the versatility, and the amount of ground that he covers. Uh, you put him next to Chris Epps in the front court, that has potential to be. Um, you're on your way to finally being a good defense uh, for the first time in like 15, 16 years. Yeah, so for defense potential, I think we're probably both that. I, I go five also. The ability to defend multiple positions while doing all that stuff to keep KP near the basket in situations, Isaac can also protect the rim too. You can, uh, he has everything you want in like a combo wing or defensive player. It's all you can ask for. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I gave him a five on this also. It's, it's off the charts. Like, uh, you know, like Sam mentioned, you know, all defense caliber player is, you know, what the ceiling is there for him. Um, and I and I think that that's true. So uh, I I was not hesitant at all in giving him a five on this. Man, uh, where did you come a, down? So, go ahead. Well, passing on a point guard is hard, but there's a lot to like with this kid. Yeah, and uh, we'll get into some things not to like in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> where uh, where did you come down on the triangle fit? Um, you know, as I've mentioned on the previous podcasts. This is something that is not necessarily a long-term concern, but seems likely to be a heavy concern uh, for Phil Jackson in making the pick. Um, he's talked like ad nauseum about how much he wants a uh, excuse me, how much he wants players that are going to fit in the system offense and blah blah blah, all the nonsense. So we got to talk about it. Uh, where did you come down on this one? Um. The, the shoot, uh, inconsistent shooting is a little bit of a worry. Um, I don't know how great he, he's really going to be able to post up at the NBA level. That's a concern. Uh, the passing, I'm honestly, I'm not totally sure about. I'm not sure if he's a great passer or not. So that that's hard for me. Um, three, three and a half with the triangle. Yeah, I came down on a two and a half. Um, you know, like bucks. you mentioned, the inconsistent shooting. Um, not all that great of a passer yet, uh, and, and I don't know if he ever really will be that much of a playmaker. Um, I, I think he's a good cutter and can fit in that way. 
but you know, not necessarily sure if he's going to develop a post game, which is important for a triangle wing or a triangle big. Um, you know, isn't going to do all that much off the dribble, which is something you know you want super versatile offensive players. And I think he's, you know, obviously extremely versatile defensively, and he has some distinct offensive skills. Uh, I just don't necessarily know if he's uh, he's what I would call like a jack-of-all-trades kind of offensive player that, you know, would be a pure triangle fit type. So I went with the two and a half here. No, because you think triangle, you think guys like Gasol and Lamar Odom is, who are the type of players that are the best fit. That's not what Isaac is. Right, like I don't necessarily know if Sean Marion would have been, been the best tri- triangle fit either. Like Isaac seems like the kind of guy you want to get out and run with too, um, you know. But I, I do think he can be successful in a half court setting, uh, especially if he gets a little bit more assertive with the ball in his hands and if his jumper comes around. But I don't, I don't know that the triangle is the right uh, kind of system to maximize him. Seems like he should be, you know, uh, in like the dunker spot and pick and rolls. Um, you know, working off of the the wing on pick and rolls to attack closeouts. Um, it, it seems like he would work better in a system with more natural spacing than uh, than the sort of confined uh, areas where players work in the triangle. Um, and that's probably true of pretty much everybody, but you know, them's the fucking breaks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So where uh, where did you come down on uh, the total of the five categories here? From uh, once, what was the ranking in, out of twenty five? Let's go fifteen plus eight twenty three. Twenty three. Wow, that's maybe your highest one yet. Besides faults. Wow. So you really like him? I I kind of I'm kind of on the. Like, two through eight or nine, you could pretty much tell me you think this player is going to end up the best one in this draft, and I'd go, sure, that's a possibility of happening. So that's why I'm not really at all freaking out about the Knicks having the eight pick. I'm kind of cool. Yeah, I uh, my total was a 19.5, um, which was, let's see, ahead of one, two, three, four... It was seventh out of this group of guys. So, um, you know, right in that range where the Knicks are going to be. The the last question here. Yeah, you were a little bit more, but also you're, there's a differential in our systems because your star potential is inherently going to be higher than mine because you're talking about like the highest level of impact they could possibly have. And I'm talking about the likelihood that they will have that impact. Yeah, so sort, mean, of a, uh, sort of a built-in... Uh, Oops, we just stepped on each other twice. That was impressive. You can go first, I'll go second. Yeah, there's sort of a built-in... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if advantage is the right word, but your, your rankings are going to be higher than mine because of that difference there. Yes, I'm pretty much... Every person's going to get at star potential of five for me, pretty much. Yeah. So uh, the final question here is, uh, do you think he could potentially be better than Chris Apps Porzingis. No. Yeah, me neither. Um, I, I think he could be very, very good, but to me, again, it's more of a uh, star-in-his-role type situation than it is you know, an, an all-out star or superstar, and I, and I think that that leaves his impact short of Porzingis, even though I do think he's going to be uh, a pretty good player. 
You there? Yep, yep. Did you want me to respond to that? I thought that was how you were closing it, to be honest. Oh, no. Well, I was going to make an FSU joke, but now we can close it there, I guess. So get your FSU joke in. But if the Knicks draft him, I'm out because I can't root for a team that drafts three players from Florida State during my 30 years of lifetime. That's just, it's unacceptable to me. You're really strict about this. Look, I went to the U. I can't be out here in these streets rooting for Florida State guys. I'm a Michigan fan. I'll root for an Ohio State person if it comes down to it. I have with my football team. This is different because Florida State basketball is, like, not even good. So don't don't give me these guys. Like, Ohio State is one of the best football teams. Like, of course you're going to root for Ohio State guys. Florida State basketball ain't that good. Don't give me guys from Florida State. This is nonsense. I don't okay, want But I like, like, I like Conley. Whatever. I'm not about this. I'm not about this life. Don't give me this. Just don't make me do it. I deserve better. I deserved better than the number eight pick, and I deserve better than having a root for Seminoles. Get out of here with this nonsense. All right, Brian, uh, thank you for doing this once again, and I'll talk to you uh, on the next one. We're going to talk about Jason Tatum. Progressive presents Mind Flowness with Flow. Before you lies a beautiful meadow. In that meadow, Progressive Direct has placed its auto insurance rates alongside those of competitors. You select the lowest rate and feel a great sense of calm. A great sense. Oh. Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates so you can rest easy. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.